This is the Sanctuary LA podcast. We are a real church for real people in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. All right, so here's, here's what we're doing this morning. We are kicking off this series, Relate. Everybody say Relate. relate. Um, and here's, the, here's what every pastor, the goal of every preacher should be, um, and that is to help you relate to the gospel. That's the ultimate goal. Um, the ultimate goal is to help you find your story and his story. That, that is the main goal. So this morning, I hope to do that. Um, and, and normally, like in, in this type of series, in this type of month, we'll talk about love and the heart and all that stuff and, and Cupid and arrows and, you know, you're going to find your mate this month and it's going to be the best month you've ever had. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to do that today. We, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the panels and all that stuff, but we're, we, I, what I want to do is, I, since February is norm, normally synonymous with the heart, I, I want us to attack the heart this morning. And not, and not from a love perspective, but I really want us to attack the issues that attack our heart. That's really what I want to deal with, because before you can love anybody, before you can give anything out, you've got to deal with what's happening internally. So if you can't attack the issues that are, that are plaguing your heart, that are making it challenging for you to give love or even receive love, then you have no business giving it out. And so I want to attack that this morning. Um, and the cool thing is that this is the first time. I always love the first. Every time there's a first, I always got to make it known. And I love that this is the first time I get to preach with AC and carpet in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. So with that being said, um, we are not in a movie theater, so if you have popcorn or anything out, um, you got to put it away. Um, we got to keep it clean in here, um, because I want to make sure I can come back up here and preach and still look out at the carpet and it still be clean, amen? I don't want to see stains and juice all on the floor and all that stuff. Um, same thing I tell my kids, but, uh, but no, I'm excited that I get to preach this morning. So would you do me a favor? Can you um, grab your word? We're going to look at a couple places this morning, and um, I'm going to have my wife come up here and say a few words. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you know my wife, she was probably freaking out, like, what? Um, but do me a favor. Grab your Bible. We're going to go into, um, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. And here's the deal, man. I am two things. I am a firm believer in what I have made up, um, and if you've heard me preach, then you've heard this before, but I am a firm believer in what I have called Pringles, and that is taking the Word of God, taking multiple scriptures, mashing them up together, um, and making sense of them uh, as a whole rather than individual parts, and I say Pringles because all y'all know, and don't look at me funny, when you eat some Pringles, you got to eat more than one to get the full flavor. Thank you for somebody being honest back there, giving me the thumbs up. Don't play up in here like you only eat one Pringle at a time. You take multiples, and you get the flavor. So I want to do that this morning with this text, um, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, um, and then I will pray over this word, and then we will jump right in, because we've got a lot of work to do this morning. So Matthew chapter 22, we're looking at verse 36 through 39. Um, and if you are uh, Bible savvy and you got it all together and you so spiritual, then find Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verse 9 through 10, and Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And if you don't have any of those and you ain't even got no Bible, we got you. It's going to be on the screen this morning. 
Um, so let's look at this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 39. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody say heart. All your souls, say so, and all your mind, say mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and second is equally important. And here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say relate. relate. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 through 10. It says, the human heart, everybody say heart, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. See, that's the reason why you ain't been blessed yet. What's going on in your heart? What are are your secret motives that he and only he can find and deal with? And then let's look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. In light of what Jeremiah says, in light of what God says in Jeremiah, here's what uh, Proverbs says. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So we look at Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, look, the human heart is the most deceitful, and only God can see, only God can change, only God can touch, only God can, can deal with the secret motives. And then in Proverbs 4.23, it gives us wisdom, and it says, guard your heart above all else, because it determines the course of your life. And if you look at that in light of Jeremiah, you look at that in light of Matthew 22, we can see that there's some parallel there. We can see that there's some intermingling in there. And where God says in the initial text, hey, look, I am, I, I am the Lord your God. I, I, the, the most important commandment and what I am saying to you is that you need to love your neighbor. And then Jeremiah talks about a deceitful heart. And then Proverbs says, guard your heart. What he's really saying is, look, you've got to protect what's going on on the inside of here so that you can fulfill the greatest commandment. Because again, if I can't, if I'm dealing with issues in my heart, I have no business trying to love somebody. Have no business trying to love somebody. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at um, the issues that attack our heart. And if you're taking notes, you can jot down the title and it's going to be heart attack this morning. Heart attack this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for what you're about to do in this house, Lord. I thank you for the privilege, the honor to stand in this platform, God, and do what you've called me to do, God. I pray that my words are seasoned with salt, God. I pray that it touches people, that it hits them right to their core, God. I pray that it gets them in their innermost being, God, and you touch them right there, the most vulnerable places, Lord. God, I pray that you allow me to do what you've called me to do, God. I pray that your people would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Um, Have you guys heard the phrase, uh, serious as a heart attack? Okay, only this side. Everybody else is, I've never heard that before. It is is funny because I remember um, I I was reading something or saw something, and they were like, yeah, it used to be, uh, you know, when someone says serious as a heart attack, you, you really took it serious. Now it's like, yeah, I bet. My wife, um, my wife texted me the other day, and she said, oh, I, I smashed Kennedy, our, our, our youngest. She said, I smashed her finger in the window, and she had a heart attack. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, really? Does she have a heart attack? Because <laughs> if you know me, like, the one emotion that I despise, I won't say hate in the pool pit, I despise, I despise when someone is dramatic. <laughs> I... Look, I hate it. 
it, you could be crying and things could have gone upside down in your life, but if you are dramatic, I will walk away and I won't even think twice. I, it be, I don't know why, it's just, it just does something to me where I'm like, are you really being that dramatic right now? And I have to walk away. Or if someone overdoes it, I'm like, no, you got to tone it down, honey. That is too much. And so when she texted me that, I was thinking like, really? Did, you re- did she really have a heart attack? But it got me thinking that a heart attack is still a serious thing. Still a serious thing, especially a spiritual heart attack. See, when we look at the word heart in the word of God and when we talk about heart, uh, we, can, we can look at it from the terms of your actual heart and the love that you possess and things of that nature, but we're also talking about your will and your emotions. And so when the enemy is attacking your heart, when there are things that are literally attacking your heart, what it's really doing is it's attacking your will and your emotions. And from those two places, a lot of things flow from. Your will and your ability to do things and your desire to do things and your desire to want and your desire to have all these things come out of your your emotions and your ability to worship and your ability to love and all these things get attacked by the enemy. And so the most important thing for us as Christians to do, including myself, is to really deal with these issues and attack these issues first before they attack us so much so that we can't even produce the love that God has commanded us to give. I mean, the greatest commandment is love your, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now think about it this way. If I don't love myself, how can I love my neighbor? If I don't think highly of myself, if I don't find myself attractive, if I don't look in the mirror every single day and say, man, I like you, I love what I'm looking at, how can I, how can I love somebody else? Because what Jesus is really saying here is that the love that you have for yourself, the overflowing of that love needs to go to others. But if you don't have any, then there's no overflow. If you have no overflow, then you're literally not doing what the Word of God commands us to do. So then you say, well, I, well, how, uh, well, well, that's not fair. Like, how, I, what am I supposed to do? Attack the issues of your heart so that you can start producing this love. Because without that love for others, then what we're doing is we're negating the word of God and we're literally not allowing Jesus to work in our own hearts. Because I'll tell you what, when Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, he meant it. And it goes for all types of facets of life, from love to money to all of that. It is better to give than it is to receive. And so we have to, we have no choice, church. We have no choice but to attack the things that are attacking our heart. And we have to hit them head on this morning. And so I love these scriptures. I love in Proverbs where it says, look, man, you need to guard your heart. You need to guard it because out of that thing comes everything. And if you don't guard it, then the course of your life, you have, the decision is in your hand. Are you going to always be stressed out? Are you always going to be happy? It's all in your hands based on what you do and how you deal with your heart. It's, and, and that is the truth. It is literally all in your hands. You walk around every single day, and, and there's days when I walk around, and I'm like, man, I'm so stressed out. But I have the power to control all of that simply by allowing the love of God to penetrate my heart and allowing me to feed others with that love. But we've got to get down to the issues. We've got to attack these issues of our heart if we're ever going to deal with that. I think it's, it's important to know that the way and the effectiveness in which I love somebody else depends on how I love myself. So if I allow everything to just attack, 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 and I never deal with it, but I keep getting hit, and I keep getting hit, and I keep falling into the wrong things, then at the end of the day, 
the love that I attempt to give somebody else is going to come from that place. So what comes out of that place if your heart is always attacked? Resentment. What comes out of that place? Uh, you despise people. Jealousy, envy, all of that come out of that place if you don't deal with these things. And so it's important that we really attack it. And that's, that's for every Christian, every Christian. And, and, and it doesn't matter where you at. Maybe you have the best relationship in the world. Maybe you're the most loving and most giving person in the world. There's still work to be done there. It's a continuous effort because the enemy will always continue to attack. And that's where he'll attack the most when you are at your strongest. And when you feel like, man, I got it all together and I'm doing exactly what the word of God called me to do. That's when he comes in and he hits you right in the stomach. And because you're not aware of it and you're not mindful that he continues to attack, we fall into that trap. And so today what I want to do is I want to I solve some problems today is really what I want to do. I want to look at five problems, five things that attack our heart, and I really want to deal with them. Now, you may sit out there and hear all five of these things and think, that ain't, no, that ain't me. No, that ain't me. That ain't me. Well, keep them in your wallet because every single one of us are going to fall into these problem categories. Every single one of us. If you might be there today, and that's perfectly fine. You might find yourself in that place tomorrow, and that's perfectly fine. You might be in that place and been there for 10 years that's perfectly fine. The goal of today is to attack these problems, but I don't want to just throw out problems because that would be dreadful, right? If I said, man, church, we got all these problems. All right, amen, go deal with it. No, I want to give some solutions to those problems as well. I want to make sure we walk out and we feel armed and we feel ready and we feel equipped to do what God has called us to do, and that's to love others. So let's look at the first one. The first problem is this, uh, and it's so fitting that this is the first problem that we all have encountered, that we've all run into, the, one, the, one, the first one that seems to attack our heart, and that's temptation. Temptation. And the reason why it's so fitting, because if you go all the way back into Genesis and you look all the way in the beginning, this was pretty much the first attack of the heart right here. Temptation. It's the enemy, Adam and Eve. Y'all know that story. It's, it's temptation. And it all seems to start there. And this is one that every single person will fall into. If you haven't already, it's coming. Trust me, it's coming. It's coming. Because the enemy loves to go back to his old bag of tricks. He loves it. This, is, this was his first one. And there's nothing new that he can do. So he recycles his old mess. And temptation is one that he recycles often. Here's what the Bible says about temptation. Uh, just so you don't get things wrong. In James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, I'll read it to you. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, everybody say remember. Remember when you are being tempted, because this is what we do, Lord. Remember when you are being tempted. Do not say, God is tempting me. Girl, the Lord is just tempting me. He's so fine, and I know I'm supposed to wait, but the Lord is just tempting me. Or fellas, man, look at her. Woo, my God, my, my, my. Get your Johnny Gill spirit on. Don't put that on the Lord. Don't put that on him. That ain't the Lord. The Lord ain't out here showing you nothing. Don't be putting that on Jesus. Don't be putting that on my sweet baby Jesus. That ain't him. He does not tempt us is what the word of God says. It says God is never tempted to do wrong. So why would he tempt you? If the Lord can't be tempted, why would he tempt you? And he never tempts anyone else. Here's what it says. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. And look at this. I love the way it puts it. It drags us away 
It drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what else than death. And isn't this so true? And you can go back and parallel this to Genesis because after they were tempted, that's the introduction of death. Right there. Before they were tempted in the garden, there was no such thing as death. There was no such thing as as, uh, killing people. There was no such thing as none of that. But after they were tempted, then, then death came. And so your temptation has to be checked. As a matter of fact, you, can't, you can never look at it and say, man, the Lord is just, I'm just going through a season of temptation. The Lord is just tempting me right now, and I'm just going to stay in it until he gets me out of it. Thank you, Lord, for this temptation. That's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Temptation comes from your own desires. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that the desires of our heart match what God desires for us. That's what we need to do. We need to stop looking at it as if, man, that's what I want, and I'm going after it no matter what it takes, I'm going to get it. Not if God didn't say so. You better step back, drop it, and watch and see what God has called you to do instead of trying to do things on your own. And I've been in this place where I've thought, like, man, if only I had that. Woo, that would be so great. That would be sweet. If only I had that. And I went for it, and there ensued death. And it could be death in the sense of literal terms, but it could also be death of your desire to dream, death of of these things that God has called you to do in the moment. And obviously God calls those things back to life, but when we stray away and when we get drug away from what God has called us because of temptation, there is death there. So we've got to deal with the desires of our heart. And what are we desiring? Because if it's not God, if we're not pursuing God in every single endeavor, then we are bound to be tempted. It's just a matter of time. And so we've got to deal with those things. And we've got to make sure that we're not allowing something to pull us away. We're not allowing something to take our tempt. We're not allowing something to tempt us. We're not allowing something to take us away from what God has called us to get. Here's what happens with temptation. When we are tempted and when we fall into that trap, we compromise. We compromise. Here's what we do. We accept good instead of the best. We accept good enough instead of God's great. We compromise when we're tempted. Why would you want to give up God's best for your life for good enough? For this will do. I'll take that. Eh, why? When you can get God's best for your life. So at the same token, when we are tempted, when we fall into temptation, we are compromising. We're compromising. We're allowing the enemy to creep in and just begin to take away what God has called us to. So here's the solution. Be tactical, not tempted. Be tactical, not tempted. What does it mean to be tactical? Let me show you. Uh, Here's the definition. It says, of a person or their actions showing to be clever or skillful in using the mind for planning. What does this mean? In the areas of your life where you are most tempted, you need to walk in, be tactical, be mindful, and start praying over that place before you get in there. If you have the ability to walk away from that place, walk away from it. Cold turkey, let it go. If it's an individual, if it's a person, and you know, man, when I see so-and-so, ooh, it does something to me, walk away. Walk away. It's, it's, it's having the mindset and being skillful, and the skill is saying, I know this is up ahead, 
So now let me prepare for it. Now let me plan. I'm going to be skillful in the way that I approach this situation. I'm going to be skillful in the way that I walk in. I'm going to make sure that this temptation, this thing that always seems to get me always in the same spot, always at the same time, the same way, I need to start doing some things differently because if I keep doing the same things, I'm always going to get the same results. And so you've got to be tactical, and you've got to make sure that you are using your mind. And what mind do you have as a Christian? The mind of Christ. And you've got to be able to employ that over every situation in your life. Don't just take that scripture as just, oh, this is great. I have the mind of Christ, and oh, I just love it. No, actually use it. Utilize it. From that place, be tactical. From that place, be skillful in what you're doing. Don't be tempted. Be tactical in every approach. I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, and yes, person that I'm talking about, you did make the sermon. Um, We were talking about Mayweather, and we were talking about how Mayweather always fights whether you like it or not. Don't be up here hating on Mayweather. He always seems to fight a tactical fight, always. But here's what people do. They try to tempt him into a fight that's not his. So what they do is they try to drag him away from his own strategy. Why don't you throw punches? Why don't you get in there? Why don't you throw your fist? Let your hands go. Why? Why? I'm 50 and 0. Why do I need to do that? Why am I getting away from my game plan? Watch it. You are 50 and 0 in every single battle that God has allowed you to win, that you've allowed God to overtake. Why would you get away from your strategy in order to do what you think is going to be best for you? Why? So Mayweather fights this tactical fight. Instead of allowing anybody to drag him away from his fight, he does what he knows best. It's just like this. His corner is not the one telling him, throw your hands. His corner is telling him, be smart. What are you doing? That's not the way we fight. What do they always say? Be patient. He'll be ready to go. Always. I watch a lot of Mayweather fights. Be patient. He's ready. And then when the moment comes, go get him. That's what God is telling you. God is in your corner. Be patient. We got it. And then he releases you. But don't move until then. Here's the next problem that we have. Problem number two, distraction. Woo, distraction, Lord Jesus. Distraction. This is the problem that we have. If we're not being tempted, if we're not walking in temptation, then the en- if the enemy can't trap us in, de- in temptation, he is certainly trying to throw whatever he can to distract us. That's what he does. That's what he does. Distractions cause confusion. God is not the author of confusion, but the enemy is. Any type of confusion that you have in your life, it's got to be the enemy. It's got to be the enemy because God would not allow confusion to walk into your life and take its seat and make itself at home. That's not God. That's the enemy. And what he does is he says, man, I can't get them with their eyes, so I'll get them with things. And I'll try to put things in their way. And I'll try to hoard their life with things that are going to steal their attention away from what they need to be doing in order for them to become what I want them to become. Distraction. That's what the enemy does. Check out Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27. It reminds us, it says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before for you, not to the left, not to the right. What lies before you? It says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. You know what I hate? I hate when people in life say, why are you playing it safe? 
Why are you always playing it safe? Why don't you live a little? Why don't you live on the edge? Don't play it safe. Why in the world do I want to walk a, a, a path that's so crooked that I can't even keep myself together? Why? When I can play it safe and say, God is my refuge, God is my strength, and Him I trust, and live with that. I'd rather live with that than walk in some crooked path. I'd rather walk down the straight path that He has laid out for me than to try to carve my own lane. Why do I want to play it safe when I've got God on my side? Why? And so I, I love that, that the Scripture tells us, I love that the Scripture says, look, don't, don't, don't take this, this crooked path, but look straight ahead. Stay on the safe path path. Don't get sidetracked. What is distraction? Distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else or someone else. When the enemy comes to distract you, the only thing he's trying to do is get your attention off of God. The only thing he's trying to do is he's trying to get you to, 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 to walk in, in, in muddy waters and walk in spaces where you have no business being in. That's his ultimate goal, to pull you away from the things of God. I tell you what, man, I fall into this trap every time it's bedtime at our house, every single time, because my kids have these tablets, man, and um, sometimes I'm like, put that tablet down, and then sometimes I'm like, what you playing? Like, I, I, like I want to play. Like, it sounds fun. And so when it's bedtime, it's time to shut the tablets off. I put a curfew on them, so yeah, I'm intense. So when they're in the bed and they try to sneak their tablets, it just shuts off automatically. So you can't get one over on me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's the Lord, saw him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but every now and again, while I'm trying to put them to bed, I'll pick up their tablet and play this game. And maybe you guys know of it, but it's called Subway Surfers. Moses, Moses is distracted. I don't know why, but the game is so addicting. It's like, I always tell myself in my mind, okay, I'm going to do this last one. Once I lose, I'm done. I'll put it down. And I can never, and, and I get, I'm, it's so bad that I am now gloating in front of my kids when I beat their high score. And it's, it's, it's sad. I know, I know, but that's what distraction does to you. It makes you evil. It makes you mean. It makes you a terrible person. But I can't help it. I, I get on it, and all of a sudden, I'm like lost in the game. And they're all out of the bed doing their own thing, and it's supposed to be bedtime. Distraction gets you away from the road that you should be traveling on, the purpose that's up ahead in front of you tries to distract your attention. And if I am driving and I am not looking forward, then eventually what will happen? Crash. So I've got to make sure that I'm not distracted. What's the solution here? The, the solution is to be disciplined, not distracted. Be disciplined. And here's the thing about discipline, a little secret for you. It's not fun. That's it. That's the secret. Everybody's leaning in like, give me more. Yes. It's not fun. It, it's not. And, and it'll feel terrible in the moment. When you are trying to discipline yourself, it sucks. Think about it. If you've ever had a weight loss go and you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm only going to eat kale, nothing but kale, seven days a week, nothing but smoothies. That's it. Kale and celery. Yes, Lord. It's tough. That's even tougher because those are two of the most disgusting vegetables in the world, especially celery. Don't give me no peanut butter. Don't give me no ranch. It's celery. It's gross. It all tastes the same, ranch or not. 
And so it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be comfortable. It's, it's actually going to feel like it's hurting you more than it's helping you. It's actually going to make you feel like you're starving and like, you, like, like your stomach is about to eat itself. But at the, at the some of y'all have been on the diet recently. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the results that are produced from your discipline will mean more to you than the hurt that discipline in the moment feels. What happens after you have trained your mind and you've disciplined yourself is going to be so much more fruitful than the distraction that you engage in in the moment. And you won't see it in the moment. And it just feels so much better not to be disciplined sometimes. And you actually have to go through the road to realize that that's not the truth. That actually it's so much better for you to discipline yourself. And here's the thing. If you don't discipline yourself, something will. If you don't discipline yourself, if you don't learn how to prompt yourself to show up to work on time, I know who will. If you don't get yourself in line and start pursuing excellence in your day-to-day life, then everything around you is going to tell you so. You ain't disciplined. You don't have it all together. And it's going to be front-page news for you. But if you attack it yourself, if you attack this thing of distraction yourself before it eats at you, before it gets to you, before it tears everything apart, if, 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 you, if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. And so we've got to make the effort to be disciplined, not distracted. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. And you guys can turn there um, if you have your Bibles. I, I really want to show you this scripture because it's... Um, so great. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 11. And I'll read it here. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Check out this quote. It says, we must all suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret or disappointment. I'll say that again. It says, we must all suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret or disappointment. Be disciplined, not distracted. Here's the next problem, addiction. Addiction. And some of us have struggled with this personally, where you've had a literal experience with addiction, where you've literally felt like you could not pull your way, pull yourself away from this vice or this thing that is pulling you down, that you know is pulling you down, that you know is not doing you any good. We've all had this struggle and we've dealt with it. And, and you're, whether, regardless of where you're at in that process, keep pushing. Keep going. That's, that's a note to everybody who's struggling with something. Keep pushing. God, God will clear the way. God, God will clear the path. All you have to do is keep pushing. That's all you have to do. Addiction, it it can be so strong and it can be in so many different forms. Again, it can be a literal addiction. It can be addiction of something that you can grab and a vice that you you can't live without. It can be something mental where you are addicted to a, a train of thought. It can be something relational where you're addicted to this type of person and you're you you can't get yourself away from this type of this type of behavior. It can be in that sense and it can be so strong. Addiction is literally the state of being enslaved. Whatever it is that you're addicted to, you are a slave to it. And we take the mindset and the enemy tries to shade our viewpoint and make us think that we're masters and lord over that thing that we can't live without, but you are actually a slave to it, which means you are in chains for it 
One of my favorite scriptures is when Paul talks about, man, everybody sees that I am in jail. All the prison guards, everyone in the palace, they see that I am in chains, but they know that I am in chains because of the gospel. You are in chains if you're addicted and you're chained to that thing. And the problem is you, you very rarely see it because in the moment it just feels good. In the moment you feel like, okay, this is going to make me feel better. Let me take this. This is going to make me feel better. And it never does. But you don't realize that until you get to your breaking point. When you come down off the high, when you come down off of the roller coaster, that's when you start to think, man, I, th- this thing is not, this is not good for me. This is not working for me. But how do we get over being addicted to something? How do we get over what's, what's pulling our attention away so much so that it's killing us? How do, how do we get over that? It's, it's this thing of relying on substances and relying on vices and dependency. And, and, and the fact is that dependency can be fatal in every way imaginable. If you are so dependent on someone else, on an individual, that you can't think for yourself, you can't do for yourself, that will end tragically and it'll be fatal for you. And so you've got to find a way to where you can be absolute where you can know without a shadow of doubt who you are and you don't need anything else to tell you anything different. So the solution to being addicted is to be absolute, not addicted. So here's what the term absolute means. It means that which exists without being dependent on anything else. And let's not get ahead of ourselves and say, oh, I'm absolute and I don't need you, Lord. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about are the things that you trip yourselves up with, the things that we get into, the messes that we make. This is what we're talking about, that we've got to get out of that and say, I, don't, I, I can't be dependent on this thing. I can't be dependent on this person. I've got to get out of that. I've got to be absolute. I've got to be so absolute to the point where even the, the person who knows me the best can't tell me anything. This is, this is who we have as a God. God in himself is absolute. He exists independently of anything else. So much so that he made a promise with himself. How many of you can make a promise and swear by yourself without walking out of here and us calling the psychiatric ward on you? Nobody. Because if you started making promises and said, yeah, John, we're going to do this today. I know, John, we're about to make this happen. Yeah, 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 we're probably going to look at John a little different next week. But here we have God who, who interacts with himself. And he shows us that I don't, I don't need to depend on anybody. I'm God all by myself. And it's an example of how we should be when it comes to things that are pulling our attention away. I don't need those things. I am, I am his masterpiece. He created me in his image. I don't need anybody else to skew that image. I don't need anything else to change who I am. I don't need anything to alter who I am. I am who God has called me to be, and I'm going to be firm and absolute in that every single day of my life. And so to step away from addiction is to really be confident and absolute in who you are. Confidence is key to be able to say, I don't need you anymore. There's some of us who have things today that we need to walk away from and say, I don't need you to live anymore. I don't need you to wake me up in the morning. I don't need you to keep me going throughout the day. For some of y'all, that's coffee. <laughs> I cannot stand when people come to work and they be like, ah, 
I just, I just, uh, and I'd be like, what's wrong? I just need coffee. I just need my, really? Seriously? It goes back to being dramatic. What? <laughs> you, need, you need coffee to keep you going to do your job? What? Oh, my Lord, we got a church full of addicts. Start laying hands on everybody. But we've got to be absolute in who God has called us to be. And we've got to operate independently of any of these things. Here's the next one, and we've got to move here. The next problem is interaction. And this is a weird one, and there's always a weird point in one of my sermons where you look at it and you're like, what? Um, but interaction is a problem that we have as well. And here's what I mean by that unhealthy interaction. When we are interacting with things, when we are interacting with people who are no good for us. Yeah, because we, we, will, we will find ourselves in that situation in the middle of a conversation with that person telling ourselves, I shouldn't even be here, but staying right there. Interacting with people who make us feel like less than. Interacting with people who, who feel like we're nothing without them interacting with, with, with things that, that, that don't do anything for us, but yet we're wasting our time with them. Interacting with situations that don't benefit us. Unhealthy interaction is what we need to cut out. And these things attack our heart because when we're interacting with things that aren't healthy with us, that interaction gets into your heart. When you're spending time with someone who's no good for you and they're telling you all these things that are beating you down rather than building you up and their words aren't seasoned with salt to produce a good image or a good work in you, when those people are speaking those things to you, those, those things get into our heart and they start deteriorating our heart and they start making us feel and changing our emotions and changing our will and our desires to do things. And that's where we've got to cut the ties completely unhealthy interactions. They change our hearts. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15, says. It says, bad company corrupts good character. Don't tell me that all interaction is good interaction because it ain't. Don't tell me that every single person in your life is there because you need them. Don't tell me that every single person in your life is, is doing something great for you because they ain't. And the sooner you realize that there are some interactions that you need to cut off before they cut you off, then the sooner you will be able to get to God's best for your life. The sooner, and, and that goes for relationship, that goes with friendships. Some of y'all have been friends with people who you know ain't been good since preschool. They was out here vandalizing in pampers and you still running with that same person. Unhealthy interaction is going to change our hearts and it's going to make it difficult for us to relate to someone else. Because if I'm having an interaction with someone and that's all, that's just them. When you have that type of person in your life where your sentence about them is, oh, you know, that's just Chris. That's just the way he is. You got a problem. Because the way Chris is is going to eventually be what you are. And when you try to interact with someone, it won't be you. It'll be Chris. Because you're being fed with what Chris is giving you. And so you've got to cut off the unhealthy interaction. So how do we do that? It says solution number four is be separated, not interacted. Again, weird. I know. Let me explain. To be holy is to be separated. To say God above anything else, before I communicate with anybody else, I want to commune with you, Lord. That's being separated. To say, Lord, I want to go after the things that you have for me rather than the desires of my heart. That's being separated. To find some pace, to find a place and some peace where you can sit by yourself and talk to God and have a moment with God before you have any other type of human.
interaction that's being separated. And why should we be separated rather than interacted? Because when we are separated, we are starting to refill ourselves. Separate it first, then you can start to interact. Because what you get while you're separated and what you're fed while you're separated from the Word of God and from prayer and from people who, who actually have the best in mind for you, what you get out of those situations is you get the ability to interact with someone in the way that's going to help you do what God has called us to do, and that is to love others like we love ourselves. I've got to be separated, though. I've got to have a moment where I'm stopping and I'm saying, Lord, all I need is you. Lord, all I want is you. This is the best way that I'm going to be able to relate to anybody because from being separated comes revelation as well. Revelation where I can speak into somebody else's life and better relate to someone because of what I've been filled up with. And so I know it sounds weird, don't interact, and I'm not talking about go and be this extreme introvert to where you don't talk to nobody. What I'm saying is that prioritize your interaction. Prioritize it. Who's getting, who, who's getting all access to you? Who's that one person that gets all access to you? Where you can, where you can, you can, you can have any type of communication and that, and that person is always building you up and that person is always encouraging you. Whoever that person is, prioritize that interaction over people who are not doing anything for you and leave everything else behind. Be separated first. I love it because Jesus gives us that example. Jesus had all these people around him. Jesus was doing great things, miracles, changing lives, people following him everywhere he went. Jesus was the first rock star. And yet he always found time to be alone. He always found time to be alone. Find your time to be alone. Here's the last problem that we deal with. The last one, and this is a big one, rejection. Rejection attacks our heart because rejection starts to make us look at ourselves differently. They don't want me. I, I'm not qualified in their eyes. I, I can't do this because they said so. They don't, they don't want me over there. They don't want me a part of, of that. And we can take that and we can start to harness that energy and we can start to make our, ourselves feel like less than. And we can get into this place where rejection brings depression because nobody wants to be around me. They don't want me. Some of us have had parents walk out in our lives and we may have dealt with that and felt like they don't want me. If they did, they'd be here. Some of us have had spouses walk out on our life and you feel that like they just, they want something else. They don't want me. And you feel that rejection and it starts to attack your heart. It can control your response to everything. Rejection is so powerful because it says to you, you don't fit into this space. You don't fit there. So I don't know what else you're going to do, but this is not your place. And to say that to someone or to make someone feel that way, my God, what it does to the heart. And then we wonder why people have that same mentality when they're interacting with others because they've been rejected themselves. And so they take that response and they put that on other people and they make other people feel like less than because they've been rejected themselves. It's, uh, 
Here's, here's the thing about rejection, and here's the solution to it, and we'll finish up here. Um, the solution to rejection is to, as hard as it is, as hard as it may seem, the solution to rejection is to be redirected, not rejected. Take the mindset that this rejection is not what it appears to be, but I'm actually being redirected. And here's the mindset we got to have. You don't want me? Huh, Jesus does. I'll go over here. You can't live with me. I'm, I'm such a mess. You, you can't handle me. I'm, I'm, I'm such a mess. Jesus can. The opportunities when we feel like, ah, I didn't get in. I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough. Ah, maybe there's something else that God has for me. The door that gets slammed on your face, I'll take the back way. Don't, don't make yourself feel like rejection is the end all be all. Don't make yourself feel like because one person rejected you, everybody's rejecting you. Take the mindset that this rejection is only redirecting me. And not only that, but take it a step further. This rejection that now I'm taking as redirection is actually better for me. I, I, I'd rather take that because here's the deal. God will always open doors and he will always close doors. And those closed doors that get slammed in our face, especially if they're from God, we've got to make sure we take the mindset that, man, it must be something better for me on the other side. Lord, I thank you for shutting this door in my face. I thank you for allowing that person to walk out. I thank you for allowing this not to work out. I thank you for allowing me to walk into this space of uncertainty because, God, I can never be afraid to trust the un unknown to a known God. I know that you have better for me, and I am walking in that. And we've got to take that mindset no matter what we do. Recently, there was a, a person that I was talking to a, a, about um, a, a rejection that they felt. And they were, um, they were visibly, they were just like, man, I did everything I had to. I was so close. I was right there. This, this was my dream. It was right there. And all of a sudden, it got snatched from me. And I couldn't help but think in the moment, the only words that I could say is, well, it's time to get back to work. Don't soak in the rejection. Don't allow the enemy to, to, to talk down to you while you're in that place. But make the effort that, you know what, it's time for me to do some more work. It's time for me to get back on the horse. It's time for me to get moving again and allow God to position me where he wants me to go. And if he shuts the door in that space, if he shuts the door on that person, if he shuts the door in that situation, I'll take it because I know he's got something better for me. Everybody's standing on your feet this morning. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary LA podcast. Tune in again next week and stay awesome and be blessed.